Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, January the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, some more changes to the coaching staff. We'll detail those changes and tell you what Flores has in mind for his own staff as he overturns it just like he did his roster this past season. Plus, our off-season preview takes us into the defensive line room. We'll preview Wilkins, Godshaw, and who's going to join to help those two guys next year. And the national championship game and college football has come and gone. We'll break down the individual performances from Tigers and Tigers, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, keep us atop all those sports podcast charts. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL Voted, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have all the written previews for the positional groups from the last week. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So some more coaching staff changes came over the weekend and just recently here on this Monday afternoon as I record this edition of the Tuesday Locked On Dolphins podcast, Patrick Graham, the Dolphins defensive coordinator who hadn't called plays until this year and now calls plays in 2019 is gone to the Giants. He will be joined by quarterbacks coach Jerry Shaplinski, who we were led to believe was a valued member of this staff who now goes with the Giants, was not blocked by the Dolphins to take on that role. And I recall Joe Marino, the host of Locked On Bill, and the Draft Network senior draft analyst tweeting something about Miami axing Chad O'Shea to possibly elevate Jerry Shaplinski, who we all thought was highly thought of in this building. And then that story, I think, was plagiarized by a gossip rag. But as it appears, it was never actually the plan in the first place as the Dolphins allowed both Graham and Shaplinski to move on to the Giants. And we've got some replacements to talk about that I haven't really previously discussed here on the podcast. It's still not announced, but we have heard from reporters that Miami have some new coaches on hand. We discussed Chan Gailey on the Monday podcast last week, so six or so episodes ago. Go back and check that out if you have not. But what about the other three guys? We did talk briefly about Austin Clark, the former Cal GA, the USC assistant, and then Illinois defensive line coach. We talked about how that team's sack production went up every year he was there, and he saved a five-star's career who was a bust at USC, transferred to Illinois, and now enters the draft and will play in the National Football League after having no career to speak of at USC. Has a ton of energy, a tough guy, a former player. He's just 30 years old, so he's young as well. And the guy we know the least about is because he was a high school coach in Ohio, and that's Kurt Kuntz. Yes, that's his name. I know it's a little bit tricky to get over the name, but he is a high school coach that everyone seems to be mad about for some reason, and I guess because you don't know who he is. But the main thing is, do we really know who any of these coaches are or what their main responsibilities are? Not really. So why get so mad about them? I can't tell you a lot about this coach other than he's one of the most respected football coaches in the entire state of Ohio. And from what little I have read, He's a no-nonsense kind of guy, but also the nurturing type that every player will run through a wall for, at least at the high school level. It'll be a transition for him for sure to jump to the pros, but I'm pretty sure Flores wouldn't just put an unqualified guy out there if he thought he couldn't do the job. 
And then there's the last hire that happened late on Sunday in Robbie Brown, a quarterback's coach who will come in and coach this Dolphins QB room. And he's the one that I kind of am most intrigued by because of his background and where he's been. He's coached in pros and in college, most recently with the New York Jets in the professional level with Chan Gailey. He has coordinated running games. He's coached quarterbacks in the past. He's coached receivers and prepared game plans and worked in analytics. He's worked on defense with linebackers. He's called plays and been a recruiting coordinator at the college ranks as well. So Robbie Brown basically is a Brian Flores clone. And that's kind of where I think he's going with all these hires is to find like-minded people that work like him and believe in the same principles and core tenets as Brian Flores. It's too early to call Clark, Austin Clark that is, a clone of Brian Flores, but it makes sense that Flores does want to find young, talented coaches and develop them. That's the part of the whole sustained success idea that maybe we might have been missing going into the offseason. And if Flores' current staff is already being poached in a year where they went 5-11, and 11, what do you think will happen when this team gets good? They have to have contingencies built in, so I would expect this to be an annual thing where they add young, smart minds that Brian Flores believes in and wants to give a chance. As for the loss in continuity, can we just settle down, please? This team was never going to have continuity next year. Half the roster is going to be new, so those coaching player relationships are all going to be new anyway. So why should Flores rest on his laurels and just accept what he has. Don't you think he sees the potential for the improvement with these coaches? I think the gathering of all these different coaches from different levels. You have Robbie Brown, who's coached everywhere, done everything at every level. And then you have Chan Gailey, who virtually has seen everything the football world can throw at a human being at 67 years old, brought the spread to the National Football League in 08 with Tyler Thigpen again in 2010 with Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buffalo Bills. He's ran run-heavy games, quarterback draw games, used big quarterbacks in the running game that way. He's seen everything, and a lot of people will tell you the most innovative minds and the most ingenuity happens at the college ranks and some of that stuff does come from the high school ranks as well you can learn football x's and o's at any level you don't have to coach the professional ranks to know how to draw up a play or how to draw up a scheme so my idea here is that Flores is gathering different ideas from different portions of the game at all levels and all landscapes and for a guy that was known for his first job with the Patriots for constantly tinkering with the waiver wire and the NFL transaction board and making his own board here in Miami and constantly tinkering with the 53-man roster so much so that he broke records in doing that, I don't understand why we can't have that same approach with the coaching staff. It's about developing and finding the best parts for your team, whether it's players, staff, essential personnel, and all these best coaching trees are constantly developing assistants underneath them to one day assume bigger roles. If Flores doesn't think that his staff member is doing an adequate job, he's going to act on it. And again, I think the best part about this, there are no breadcrumbs that trace Flores to some of these players. Their resumes are diversely productive, and that's what he's going off of. I imagine Flores wants flexibility in his coaching staff. He wants experts on different areas of the game that allow them to be adaptable every single week. He wants that input from a variety of perspectives and guys that have like-minded mentality in his moniker, his quote, there is joy and hard work, end quote, that moniker he used after the Patriots game. Flores earned his position in the NFL right now by outworking his contemporaries, and that's a trait that I believe that he sees in Brown, Clark, and Kuntz. So quite frankly, I just trust this guy and what he decides to do because I've seen his reach firsthand. I've seen the impact he's had on this roster, on this organization. So please, before you fire off multiple tweets complaining about coaches you've never heard of, just relax a little bit. It's going to be okay. And you know what else is going to help to allow you to relax? A better workout, and you can get that with Echelon. To get fit in 2020, 
You don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their X1 Connect fitness bike that offers a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, and elite athletes. Whatever your activity level, Echelon has the workout for you with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home. You'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon so much, but if you aren't satisfied, 100% will give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Just go to echelonfit.com slash NFL to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash NFL. echelonfit.com slash NFL. We are on to part number six, I think it is, maybe number five, up on LockedOnDolphins.com, taking a look at the offseason ahead. We are in the middle of January, which means free agency is about two months away and the draft a little more than three months away. So we're taking a look at every position group, who did what last season, what this team needs heading into next season, and who the potential options are to fill those needs for this Miami Dolphins football team. And to be completely clear here up front, looking at the defensive line, I separated it into two categories. We're talking about guys that play the five technique, the big defensive end and the base technique inside to the nose tackle. So bigger bodied players. And tomorrow's podcast, we'll look at guys off the edge, the pure pass rushers, the Chase Youngs, the Calevon Chasons. So don't get mad when you don't see Chase Young as the number one prospect on my defensive line inside prospect list on the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And the reason I did this was because the modern day NFL is making positional distinctions, basically antiquated and more so on the defensive side of the ball and in a league full of complex versatile schemes few defenses have more ambiguity than Brian Flores's approach you name the defensive front the odds are the Dolphins have ran it at some point during 2019 and because of Miami's multiplicity branding any specific player is flat out difficult Patrick Graham told us last year former defensive coordinator that he used X's and O's to fill out his position board rather than strong safety or weak side linebacker because they There's no defined positions in this defense. So we're looking at the down defensive linemen that play anywhere from head up over the nose tackle all the way out to the five technique off the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. And there were three players that gave the Dolphins significant reps in this role, these roles this season, I should say, between the zero and five techniques. Rookies Christian Wilkins was a big part of that. He had a fluid role, led the way in snaps for long stretches. Miami would call on their bare front, which utilizes a pair of two techniques, players head up over the guard and a nose tackle head up over the center. It was Wilkins. Devon Godshaw and John Jenkins as the pillars of those fronts. The Dolphins desperately need depth across that line and they desperately need edge players off that line. And thankfully, this draft class offers plenty of the both of those things for the Dolphins to pick up on. Let's go back first though to the incumbents and talk about Devon Godshaw. 75 tackles this year, two sacks, 18 pressures, 33 run stops. His pro football focus grade sucks, but I think their grading might kind of suck too. So 97th out of 199. He played 700 
and 17 snaps. That's 64.1% of the defensive workload. And I think that Godshaw had by far his best season this year. You would consistently see him throw those hands out, punch the guy across from him, and disrupt the flow of the play and reset the line of scrimmage from the man across from him. He holds the point of attack on double teams pretty well. He's a very good player, a very important part of this locker room, a big voice in that locker room, and I believe he'll be up for a contract extension this offseason. The rookie, Christian Wilkins, barely out-snapped Godshaw this season. 730 snaps, that's 65% of the Dolphins' total workload. 56 tackles, 2 sacks, led the defensive line and quarterback pressures with 30 and had 29 run stops. He had the exact same grade as Wilkins, 97th out of 199. He did lead all interior defensive linemen, rookies, and tackles and made a profound impact on this team behind the scenes. We all saw him run onto the field every single time the Dolphins scored a touchdown to celebrate with those guys. He is exceptionally quick off the snap and made considerable strides in the crucial hand fighting department of his game this year. I think he can play the backside one technique, the front side three. He lined up as the two technique and bare fronts, played plenty as the four technique as the big defensive end head up over the tackle. This guy can do everything. He's consistent. He's durable. He's an infectious leader. And I think you're going to see a big, big jump from this guy in year number two. The other player I'm very excited about in this group is Zach Sealer. He only played 78 snaps, just 7% of the total workload for the Dolphins this year. He was a late season December waiver wire claim from the Baltimore Ravens, and the Ravens fans were upset they lost this guy. He comes up and makes eight tackles, one sack, four quarterback pressures, and six run stops, winds up the 22nd graded defensive lineman interior out of 199 on Pro Football Focus. Again, limited sample size for him there, but he was locking dudes out. The two-man sled was invented for this guy because he can shoot those long arms, lock out, disengage, and read the flow of the play. And he was basically unblockable in the Cincinnati game, had plenty of good reps against the Giants and the final game of the season against the Patriots as well. He can play multiple positions and I think he's really going to excel in the type of line play the Dolphins want up front this season. One of the more forgotten men on this group here is Jonathan Ledbetter, the rookie undrafted free agent from Georgia. He only played 51 snaps. He had four tackles, a half of a sack, and two quarterback pressures and four run stops in that 51 snaps. So he played well and he climbed all the way up from undrafted free agent at the bottom of the depth chart to opening day starter and did play well in that brief stint. Again, can condense inside on rushing downs, has the long arms, can lock out, set the edge in the running game. This guy is one to watch going in to next season. Gerald Willis, we'll go by him quickly here. He played 19 snaps, looked out of shape to me on those snaps. I think he has an uphill climb to make the roster. There is just one free agent pending on the defensive line for this Dolphins team, and that is going to be John Jenkins. 34 tackles, one sack, 12 QB pressures, and 21 run stops. He graded 49th out of 199 interior defensive linemen on pro football focus. He played 479 snaps. That's about 43%. And he was a gem discovered by the Dolphins in this season of trying to discover gems. And while he's not your frontline starter type who's going to give you the 700 snaps of Godshot and Wilkins, and he's not going to blow you away with his pass rush prowess, he is quality depth this team desperately needs and a guy that can play the multiple positions and do it well. He knows what he does well. He even spoke about Brian Flores, maybe not putting him in the most pass rush situations because that's not the strong suit of his game, but he can flat out play anywhere from the nose out to the five technique. Now, the free agent market and draft class both offers premium players at these positions. Again, we're 
We're not going to have Yannick Ngakwe on this podcast because he'll be on tomorrow with the conversion outside rush guys off the edge. But one guy that does not fit that category and does fit this category is a player the Dolphins circled this past offseason, this past summer, in Jadavian Clowney. We found out he wasn't interested in playing for a team that was going after a high draft pick or a team that wasn't going to be competitive. But now, maybe, since the Dolphins could be more competitive this season, this idea can recirculate. We're talking about an elite edge run defender that is unblockable in many situations, plays a lot of positions. The Texans have used him as an off-ball linebacker, a drop coverage outside linebacker, or a five technique inside as a defensive end. The truth is, that's his best position. He can run stunts, twists, and games. He can rush the edge. Not the best pure bender off the edge as a seven technique pure pass rusher, but my goodness, he can impact first and second down and then give you something inside as a pass rusher on third down as well. He is the crown jewel of this class at the position. Going to cost you upwards of $20 million per year, but do you do that for a guy who has missed games in five of his six years as a professional football player? I tend to think the more reasonable route is, well, more reasonable with Shaq Lawson, the Buffalo Bills outside edge player. It's been a slow burn for him the first four years of his career, but he finally showed up in a big way this season. He, like Clowney, has an inherent skill set to hold the edge against the run. He's long, 33-inch arms, he's thick, 265 pounds, and he uses his hands and eyes to keep his frame clean in a two-gap defense. He actually measures pretty similarly to Patriots edge Trey Flowers, same build and size, one inch shorter on the arms, but he'll likely call for second-tier money this offseason, and his connection to the Dolphins defensive line coach Marion Hobby makes them one of the top players on his list of potential suitors. I think he makes a ton of sense for the Dolphins this offseason. And finally, the sleeper. We're going to kick further inside here at the position and talk about Danny Shelton of the Patriots. Not an edge, but Miami could use a big, beefy nose tackle that can play between the two technique and the two technique on the other side of the football and give you 300, 400 snaps as a pure run stuffer and occasional pass rusher when you need him. Shelton really blew up this year with the Patriots, played more snaps, had more production, and I think he might get a better contract because of that. He piles up run stops and adds a little bit of pass rush to his game, a perfect candidate candidate to come in here and give you depth, hopefully for cheap. Some other notable defensive tackle slash linemen in the free agency class. On the interior side of things, Vernon Butler of the Panthers, he'll get a big time contract somewhere. Timmy Jernigan from the Eagles, Ashawn Robinson from the Lions, Javon Hargrave of the Steelers, Adam Butler of the Patriots would be a great fit, but he is a restricted free agent. More off the edge, guys that play more of the five base tech, Jabal Sheard, Eric Armstead from the 49ers, Chris Jones from the Chiefs, and Mike Pinnell also from the Chiefs. And then in the draft, I think it gets even better personally. If you do want to spend the fifth pick on a defensive end, there is one guy that makes sense here. Of course, Chase Young on tomorrow's podcast, and he'll be gone with that fifth pick. But AJ Epinesa from Iowa, he comes off the bus with a first round grade because he is massive with unrelenting power. He has a smooth enough transition to twist, slant, and stunt inside, or just win on pure outside rushes as well as a true seven technique. He has flexible hips. He's built perfectly for the scheme for the position. He can drop into the hook zone and coverage and at six foot six, 280 pounds, he is going to measure with the longest arms at the position, maybe in the entire combine. He can line up in a two point, three point or four point stance, explode off the football, dent the edge or force the line to bubble. He runs through chips and doubles as well as anybody. This guy is an elite prospect, but he's going to cost you a top 10 pick to go out and get him. The more reasonable route here is Curtis Weaver from Boise State, another big bodied dude that can line up all over the 
defensive line. He's thick, he's powerful, and he has a base that presents a strong anchor against the run and a quality bull rush move. He's not the most fluid edge rusher, and his get-off often oversets the tackle up the edge, and that allows him to work back underneath with heavy hands and good redirect inside, but he does need to work on that speed rush because there's too many times where he runs right past the quarterback after he blows by an inferior right tackle. When he finds better right tackles in the NFL, that'll be an issue for him, but he's six foot three, 265, fits the scheme all the way. And the sleeper, another great scheme fit, possibly a second or third round pick here for the Dolphins from Utah, Bradley Anai. He is six foot three, 260 pounds. He's long as all get out. He's a refined rusher with multiple moves in the arsenal. Again, can slant, twist, or stunt inside. Has good angles to beat those rush and fight off blocks that way. Not the most athletic rusher out there, but none of these guys are. The Patriots never valued athleticism at defensive end. I don't expect Brian Flores to either. You can't dig this guy out. You can't kick out block him because he is going to completely shut those down with the long arms and his ability to disengage. So, Those are the free agents. Those are the draft eligible players. Let's go ahead and get to my top 10 down defensive linemen. We're talking about guys from the five tech and in, in this year's draft. Number one, Derek Brown. I don't think he'll be there for you with Miami anyway. Number two, AJ Epinesa from Iowa. Number three, Yatir Gross Models from Penn State. Another great fit. So would Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. He's awesome. Curtis Weaver of Boise State's number five. Javon Kinlaw, number six from South Carolina. I think all six of those guys are possible first round picks. Then you have a bit of a drop off. Brad Leah Nye from Utah, number seven. Raekwon Davis, more of an interior guy from Alabama. Leaky Fotu from Utah. He is a beast. You'll see him at the Senior Bowl. He's a massive, kind of similar to Paul Solii. Devon Hamilton from Ohio State is number 10. So the Dolphins definitely have to go after next tomorrow's group, I should say, of Chase Young, Kalevon Chason, Terrell Lewis, all those guys. This group with Epinesa, Gross Matos, and Weaver, and all these dudes they have available to them, the Dolphins can really, really solidify the defensive line in this year's class, both in free agency and in the draft. My prediction for your 2020 defensive line, and we'll go here in order of guys I think play the most snaps, are number one, Christian Wilkins, number two, free agent signing in Shaq Lawson, number three, Devon Godshaw, number four, Utah's Bradley Anai as a draft pick, number five, John Jenkins, number six, Zach Sealer, and number seven, Bravion Roy is a defensive tackle prospect out of Baylor. So two draft picks and one mid-level free agent signing on the Dolphins defensive line this coming offseason. And speaking of the draft and this offseason, we're going to talk about the national championship game here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Well, college football has come to its glorious, glorious end. What a season it was. I had a blast covering all the games and all the prospects for you guys all year long. And we're going to jump right into Tigers and Tigers here in just one second. I spoke on Twitter early on Monday about how the Dolphins could conceivably use each of their premium picks on players exclusively from this game, whether it's the fifth pick in Isaiah Simmons or 18th between Chason, Fulton, and Delpit, 26 with Higgins and ETN, maybe 39 with Justin Jefferson and AJ Terrell. And that list just goes on and on and on. And real quick, before we get into the scouting on that game, I want to make a note of a tweet I sent about how Miami, from picks 5 through 70, have a selection every 12 to 17 slots. Only one of those slots has 17 picks between it. The rest of them are more like 12, 13, or 14 slots between them. So Miami has an advantage at that position because they can basically say, let's look at the draft class as a three-round hole or a three-round practice. And if there are two or three players at a position we 
need right now, but we pick again in 12 picks, and there's a player at another position, just one guy we like. We take the one guy and hope that one of the two from the other position make it to our pick here coming up 12 or 13 spots down the line. It just gives Miami options. It gives them flexibility. I think the best example I put it as is let's say you're picking number 18 overall, and Tua goes off the board number five to your first pick in the draft, and you look at that spot and you say, well, there is Caleb on Chason, there's Yatir Gross Matos, there's Curtis Weaver. We need a defensive end. We also need a tackle, and Makai Becton's the only one left. Let's go ahead and take Becton, and whoever falls out of that group to number 26, we'll get them later. It's a fantasy football adage I learned back in the day. If there are multiple good players at the position, you pass on the position and come back to it with your next pick. The Dolphins can do the exact same thing. Let's go ahead now and talk about LSU, Clemson, and the national championship game. Plenty of NFL players all over that field tonight. And we do have a final. It is the Tigers of LSU that are victorious 42-25 over the Tigers of Clemson as Trevor Lawrence suffers his first loss in college football, his first loss since the senior year of his high school career. And LSU caps off a season where we might have seen the best offense in the history of college football, if not the top, at least top three or maybe even top five, but 14 straight games of dominance. So impressive all across the board. And how can you start anywhere else but at the quarterback position with Joe Burrow showing that little twitch and athleticism in the pocket to get himself free of pressure with all those pressure looks the Clemson defense brought on him. The accuracy, the poise, playing through the broken rib injury, the little nuances about his game that make him so proficient within the structure of the offense, but also so dangerous outside when he has to break the script. Just a really, really great game, a really, really great season, probably the best of all time for any college quarterbacks. And in this game, there was an interesting similarity from last year. The previously thought to be king of college quarterbacks, so to speak, is top by the next one. You go from two a one year to Lawrence and then now Lawrence to Joe Burrow. What a performance for Joe Burrow. Heisman Trophy, first overall pick. He earned it. He deserves it. And no, the Bengals are not going to trade that pick to the Dolphins, nor should they. And nor should Miami go up the board to get him. That's just how it's going to be. Joe Burrow, number one to the Bengals. Put that in ink right now. And I'm sure Trevor Lawrence having that game get away from him a little bit and kind of have the inconsistencies in his mechanics and his setup, overstriding a little bit, throwing too high, way too often. Often. That'll be conversation kerosene for the hot take scene out there, but whatever. He's still the football god's gift to all of us at the quarterback position, and I'm thankful we get one more year of him before the ultimate tank for Trevor sweepstakes begin in 2020 because that kid has the absolute goods. Speaking of the goods, Isaiah Simmons, I think we've pretty well covered this guy on the podcast, talk about him every single week, it seems. I don't think he should survive the first five picks of the draft. You put him on your defense, you're going to be much, much better for it instantly. I just hope he doesn't want wind up with some dingus defensive coordinator that pigeonholes him into one position because he can play everywhere on the football field. I like Clemson cornerback AJ Terrell in this game a lot. He had some moments, aggressive, long press man cover corner, that inside hand jam he had on Jamar Chase to cause the incompletion. He did get beat plenty, but again, Jamar Chase was the Blitnikoff winner this year, so the best receiver in college football. I think Terrell is a round two option for the Dolphins. He and Damon Arnett from Ohio State make a lot of sense for cornerbacks in this class for Miami. AJ Terrell got beat, but not as bad as Christian Fulton did. And my goodness, before we talk about Fulton, we have to go on the other side of the field over there for the best 
defensive back in college football, even though he just finished his true freshman season. Derek Stingley Jr., have mercy, that kid is good. As for Fulton, I think he probably falls out of round one contention for me. I know he'll still go there. I just think there are better values later on. I talked about A.J. Terrell, talk about Damon Arnett, Jeff Gladney out of TCU, some guys that I prefer over Christian Fulton in the first round at pick 18 most likely. Speaking of pick 18, not a big Grant Dell pick guy. I think you kind of saw why the issues are there with him and where the Dolphins could shy away from a player who tends to shy away from tackles in his own right. Watch the long T. Higgins touchdown. His chase effort on that play is really, really kind of, I hate using this word for football players, but it was pathetic. He just kind of jogged after the play and didn't impact the play whatsoever. Caleb on chase on, speaking of chase plays, man, the retrace on that opening play of the game, he consistently turned the corner all night long. Speed rush, power rush, locks out against the run. What a talented football player he is, but he's probably a top 10 pick now after that performance and playoff run. Patrick Queen had the big night, kind of the nowhere, the no name that stepped up and had a big game and got himself on the scouting map. He's a junior. We'll see if he comes back to school, but 230 pounds might not be in the cards there for the Dolphins at linebacker. But speaking of that Delpit tackle, going back to T. Higgins, what an absolute grown man he is. If you don't like Preston Williams' chance to return, which I'm not sure why you wouldn't next season, it's just a routine ACL, then he's a round one option for you, speaking of Higgins. I still don't think you go receiver in the first round, especially with next year's class as it is right now. Just a quick aside, can we get a bunch more picks next year too? Because my goodness, there are probably already 15 blue chip players to my count in next year's draft class, and that's only going to grow from here. At the tight end position in this game, I think Thaddeus Moss could be tight end one if he comes out. I think he should. We haven't got an announcement yet obviously, but that should be coming out here in the next week. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running backs in this game, I think he is the perfect 1B to a J.K. Dobbins as a 1A role, the Ohio State back. Dane Brugler called Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the next Brian Westbrook, such high praise for such a smooth route runner. He's twitched up as all get out. He's a jitterbug with immense power, good lower center of gravity, fourth round pick maybe, and that could happen because of the running back depth in this class, even though he looks like a day two pick at worst, but maybe he slides back a little bit. You go Dobbins with pick 1C in the first round and then come back with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think you could do a lot worse there. Travis Etienne, something in his own right as far as being an electric running back. I think you might have to get him with pick 1 see where I talk about J.K. Dobbins, but I like pick 39 better for ETN in general. And that's a wrap right there on the college football season. Always sad to see it go. A tough time of year for football fans. Some real postpartum stress and, and disorder coming in here. We've got three football games left on the calendar, but for us at Locked On Dolphins and for me in particular, the season never ends. We'll finish up the defensive positional capsules this week here on Locked On Dolphins. And I think on Sunday, I'll do a part one of my projected mock free agent signings and draft class and all that fun stuff and put together a pretend roster for you guys. And just real quick, back to the defensive position capsules for the week. I'm really excited about this side of the ball because the Dolphins have so many options, both in the front seven and in the secondary, and both in the draft as well as free agency. We're going to have comprehensive senior bowl coverage for you guys, first with a preview with all the scouting videos and breakdowns of the players on both rosters, and then of course practice reports each day from the TV broadcast, getting you guys the information on who wins the one-on-ones, the pit drill, the one-on-one receiver and cornerback drills. Tons of good stuff to look for there on the broadcast. So keep it locked here on Locked On Dolphins for your year-round daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And that is going to be 
my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.